Hello and welcome to another edition of Turn Out of Punk. I'm your host, Damian Abraham, and once again I'm bringing you a conversation with someone who grew up listening to punk, may or may not still be involved with punk, but had their life changed by the genre in a major way. And today on the show, huge guest, my buddy, my pal, Kurt Vile is on the show from The Violators. He used to be in The War on Drugs. Black Banana, and more on that in one second. But first, if you want to get in touch with me, head over to the email address, at gmail.com. That is run by my brother and show producer and guest booker extraordinaire, Tristan Abraham, and he will get the message to me. You can also find me on Twitter or Instagram at Left for Damien. There's a, a YouTube page, a TikTok page, an Instagram page and a Facebook page for this podcast. All can be found at Turned Out of Punk on those respective platforms. If you want to support the show, tell all your friends about it. Let them all know that you enjoy this podcast that we do here uh, twice a week now. I'm trying to get back to doing them twice a week. So, uh, yeah, tell them. I also play in a band. We are called Fucked Up. You can find out more information about us over at fuckedup.cc or on uh, Twitter or Instagram at Fucked Up. Uh, we are currently going on tour with super chunk in the new year and we will also be putting out new material constantly so you can find out all about that stuff over at fuckedup.cc we've got new t-shirts too so you know head on over there if you are so inclined all right on to today's show as i said off the top kurt vile is here from the violators from war on drugs from black bananas he is a incredible songwriter one of my favorite songwriters and an, an awesome person who i have not spoken to for a very long time up until this podcast we were on tour together uh, before that and then we'd run into each other a few times afterwards but we had not caught up in a long time so it was great to have an opportunity to sit down and just punish the shit out of him something i never really did on tour and that's why i do this because there's stuff you find out even about people that I, I know, well, you find out, I find out about people I, I know, they don't tell me beforehand. I'm not going to spoil what Kurt reveals in this one, but you'll hear it in a second. There are some, there's some shit we should have been talking about a long time ago. But anyway, you're going to hear it in a second. Kurt has a brand new, well, it's like a monster EP, I guess, but it's called Back to Moon Beach. It is a six song record. There's actually like a like a 10-song version, too. All of that can be found over at KurtVile.com, and you can order that stuff. There's also a CD. I wonder if the CD has all the other tracks on it. I don't know. You can find out for yourself over there, and that is out on Verve Records. Kurt will be going on tour with the Violators in the new year. You can find out dates over at KurtVile.com as well. I think it's all in March, um, and there's dates after that too. So head on over there and find that out. Order that EP or check it out wherever you listen to your music. I think it's available everywhere now. And that is that. All right, sit back, relax, and enjoy Kurt Vile on Turned Out a Punk. Kurt, welcome back. Uh, welcome to the show. I, I almost said welcome back to the show because I feel like this should have happened so long ago. That this is almost like a part two, but it's it's a part one. Welcome to the show. Hey man, thanks. No, I it does feel like I'm back. Welcome back to the show because we go way back. We do at this we, point. We do, and I actually uh, one of my biggest interview regrets ever was the time that I interviewed you on my TV show 
and I told you I didn't like Smoke Rings as much as I like Childish Prodigy, and I felt like that's like the biggest dickhead thing to say to someone, and it's always haunted me that I said that oh, to man. you. <laughs> well, I, you know, I, I do take things like that personal sometimes, uh, but you, you must have said it in a way that, first of all, you're being honest, and I wouldn't expect you necessarily to, uh, but I don't remember that at all. So I, I think you, you got a pat like I respect it. the way you said it. I must have respected it. But that's sweet that you. But yeah, you got to be honest sometimes. You know, it depends. But like, but that was a transition record for me, and I, I'm so proud of Childish Prodigy, and I'm proud that it was under, you know, uh, uh, underrated. I guess. <laughs> but but then but then that uh. You know, it was Kim Gordon's favorite record, and uh, Br- Br- uh, Bradford Cox, and you, 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 you invited me on tour because of it. You know, I got booed in your hometown because of it. You know, and uh, I'm proud of that. I, uh, you know, I, I think so. Whatever. I, I feel like that was the thing I was trying to convey to you at the time. Is that, like, I, I think that Childish Prodigy, I think, was just like. That's one of my favorite records, definitely of that year, and and I remember just being having such a a tight relationship to it, and you know, and I and I thought Smoke Rings was going to be way bigger. I knew right away that this thing is going to be the one that's going to be like the the launching pad for the for you as this like great songwriter. Um, but it's just only as you get a little older and in it a little longer, you realize like sometimes you just don't need to say shit. Like sometimes you can just leave your opinion unsaid, especially when someone's like on the first steps on that journey. Wow. Yeah. I'm glad you brought it up. Yeah. Cause I don't remember. And I, I and believe me, I don't forget either. <laughs> so the way you said it, I, I res- must've respected it. Cause I don't remember at all. Well, now that we gotten out of the way, Kurt, uh, welcome to the show. And I got to start it off the way they all should start off, which is how'd you get in a punk? Do you remember the first time you ever came across it? Man. Uh, for me, it's not so cut and dry uh, because, shoot, man, like, for instance, you know, before I knew any better, I would think that punk is like no effects, you know. I was into no effects and like some of that epitaph stuff for a minute. Uh, but like Operation Ivy, yeah, that's not Epitaph, but like, you know, Rance, you know, all, there was all that crossover new school punk. I mean, I feel like maybe I might like Rancid now. I don't, I think I might like them again. Oh my but gosh, other they got ones, some songs. They got like, those guys could write, they did all three of those records back to back to back to back and all of them have cuts on them. Yeah, but like, and I, I haven't heard them really since then. I, I, I still hear the song I Want to Riot in my head now. I haven't heard it maybe for a while. But I often drop – I often just for no reason lately say give them the boot, the roots are radical, you know. Uh, but that that's 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 new school punk, you know. Let's keep that separate. Uh, that's part of it though. That, that connects right back to the beginning, right? Like I, that's what I love about it is that – and we we I will probably talk about it in a second, but that fingers cut uh, Mega Machine band is the dude from Oscar, right? An Epitaph band. So you got deep connections to Epitaph too. 
Uh, well, maybe they're on Epitaph now, but yeah, there's a kid that went to Dartmouth with my wife, Suzanne, um, who put that seven inch out. He, he, yeah, he would put out this punk music and my music didn't really fit on that, but, uh, yeah, that was my first split seven inch. Uh, but, um, I would, I like to think that I, like, for instance, there's a club. Even when I was in high school, I would go to West Philly into the ghetto, and there was a, 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 a known punk house called Stalag 13, and I would play my banjo there. And there are bands like Dis Sucks that were, were cool back then. Uh, it was a Philly band. I don't even know if you ever heard of them. Or like, but, like, there's all kinds of crusty punk bands playing there, and I played there, you know, uh, I wasn't punk and that's kind of a good analogy of how I got into quote unquote punk. You know, like I love the Ramones more than anything. I love suicide. I got into those bands in my twenties, you know? Um, uh, and I grew up in my teens on, uh, like, you know, like pavement, you could say is a gateway drug pavement, obviously have punk influence, uh, they have punk in them. You listen to Slanted and Enchanted as punk, and then you get their gateway drug is like, oh, this Hey Drag City, you know, compilation has pavement on it. And then you hear all those weird bands, and then my life kind of changed. Like that, that's sort of my punk is like a more edgy, arty thing. But I, there are so many punk bands that I love that I got religious about. We, we, we worship the Ramones. Uh, like I said, I, I worship. Uh, you know, Suicide's a proto-punk band, and then they got into, you know, they're like more, they've always been punk, but like, it's more like, it could also be like disco in another way, you know? <laughs> so, uh, uh, once the first time I heard punk, I have no uh, no clue. You know, I, I, I like the Dead Milk Band, they're not a, really a punk band, but I heard them, they're from Philly, and they're, that's, you know, that's where I come from. I would, I would say 100%. Dead Milkmen are a punk band. I think Pavement yeah. are a punk band. I think that's the thing is like, at one time it's a snowboard kid at the mall wearing a no effects t-shirt. At the same time, it's also like Dinosaur Jr. And someone like getting in Dinosaur Jr. was my gateway to punk. Yeah, I feel like yeah, I feel like we let it get codified by other people. But like, here the fact is, the first place that I heard about you on was the fact that you did a CD on Gulture Records and the Gizmos invented punk. Right. No, I, for, through my buddy, Richie Charles, who used to drum and clock cleaner and he has a record label called Richie records and testosterone tunes. He, he got me, uh, I was working at a brewery and he got me onto Gulture, which, and my collection of, uh, like a best of my CDRs, a best of which hardly anybody had heard except for people in my tiny orbit heard those songs. And I, I had enough CDRs of my own material that, I got Gulcher Records to put it out. That was when I already had all but He's All Right and the outro track on Childish Prodigy in the bag. The reason I gave Gulcher those, that collection was because I was holding Childish Prodigy for my big break, you know, for a label. And I turned down a few labels before Matador agreed. In fact, we sent Childish Prodigy to Matador twice. When I say we, I mean my manager, Rennie, he's like, let's just play dumb and send it to him again, you know? So 
Um, so I'm pretty proud of, of that. But so, yeah, so to be on a label, you know, we both were on Matador. You're not on Matador anymore. Neither am I. But we both were on the label that started Pavement and uh, so many. Yeah, I, so I grew up on Pavement, Dinosaur Jr. for sure. Sonic Youth, uh, I, you know, the first punk record I might have heard aside from uh, indie rock adjacent, uh, you know, White Light, White Heat. That's the first punk record maybe that I ever really heard. You know, that's my teens. That's, but they're all, I love that they're all connected. You know, you're right. Were you like older siblings or your parents into the Velvet Underground? Like, how'd you hear about them? No, I heard of them. I had some older friends into Lou Reed. Eventually they're listening to Velvets too, but I think I heard Lou Reed first. Uh, but yeah, somewhere along the way, I, you know, I, I was a reader. I I was just talking on another podcast, a book podcast about this, but I, I remember I went to Borders Books. And that's where I would find out everything. I'd go on their computer to find out what pavement, you know, is on. And then it tells you everything. And then I go to the one small music section. I get Sonic Youth, Confusion is next, the book, Velvet Underground, Uptight. Right around then, right, right before I graduated, I feel like I was so deep in the in the Sonic Youth and, and the Velvet Underground and, and, and Lou Reed. And so those are like all at the same time, like, like uh, just, you know, frying my brain with inspiration, you know, cause the combination of noise and, and poetry and, you know, catchy hooky punk rock combined, you know, somewhere in, you know, that there, there's your, there's the concoction sort of, of a te- of a teen teenage mind. I, th- I think that really does start with the Velvet Underground, where you have this sort of like like lack of virtuosity being forefronted in the band, and then like you see with the Modern Lovers, even more so, where there's like obviously these songs are they're brilliant, and these people playing them are brilliant, but they're sort of like anyone can do this, and like you can write an incredible song, and you don't need Phil Spector production; you can have it kind of just like shine through somehow like it just feels like that would have been a permission record permission yeah permission to like just do it yourself like to just oh yeah permission no i love that and i i I will say in a way like my punk you know because that's like punk like uh you know you watch the essential ramones documentary end of the century and danny fields is like the people came to shows and they said what these people no future they saw these guys these guys, they can't play. They could still, they could still get paid. They could still get laid, you know. And they, they, these people start a band, or the quote that Eno said that, like, you know, not everybody saw the Velvet Underground, but whoever did started a band. Like, um, I would say that my version of that was when I got that compilation, the Hey Drag City compilation, and then everybody track on there some more than others, but they were all kind of jagged, but they were still some, like the vocals cut through, and it was the bare essentials combined with weirdness, and the the Silver Juice track, Famous Eyes, even the opening track, uh, Palace Brothers for the Me Cons and All, it was just, I don't know if, it's like so well recorded and just that there's no effects on anything and it just p- p- punchy and uh 
There's a song on there called Ike by Fruitcake. It's psychedelic and so melodic and hypnotic, but still it's punk or Royal Trucks. You know, Jen Harima, that's a friend of mine. I I like to throw that out there all the time. You know, she she invented a lot of things, and that's my girl. She's the best. When she was on the podcast, she said her biggest influence was Discharge and hearing Discharge and hearing them bury these, like, really catchy pop songs in, in walls of noise and how that inspired her. And it was just like, it's like you're saying, it's, it punk is whatever you define it as. Bill Callahan did, like, old punk zines back in the day. Like, Will Oldham used to know every Misfits song lyric and Ramon's song lyric off by heart. Oh, yeah. Like all that Flying Nun stuff. Like, that's punk to me. Like, they took it in their own direction, right? Yeah. Well, I worship Danzig today, even. And the Misfits, I got into them recently, more recently, you know, Static Age, of course. Like, uh, and just to be clear, though, uh, Discharge, the label? No, the band. The the band, the band. Oh, man, see, I should, I meant to say that first. Now I look like an idiot. All right, I'm going to check out Discharge, the band. No, you you will love it. And I like that's where Dis Sucks got their name. And you're not the first guy to mention them on this podcast because, like you're saying, Stalag is kind of the Gilman of Philadelphia in a lot of ways. And I think it's I, – I don't, I don't think I had any clue that you played there. And it's so awesome that it was a space that, yeah, like, you know, so many great hardcore bands came through there and played, like Rambo and all this sort of stuff came out of there. But, like, it still was a space that you could go there and play a banjo at and, and find – find a stage only me mind you i'm the only one that played banjo there yeah. nobody else did you're ahead um, of the folk punk trend by a good like 10 15 years yeah i had a song called skate bitch you know about like skate uh, groupies you know skate groupies could because it was like it was all you know we would skate and then we, there was these other better skaters who would always have a bunch of girls hanging out with them and you know drinking 40s and stuff and we we never had that luxury you know but like uh that's funny. Did you go to Stalag 13? Oh, yeah. I went there, and I remember my story that I always tell about there is going to the bathroom, and someone had gone into the stall and taken a shit beside the toilet. Oh, yeah. Of course. <laughs> or people, you... yeah, the bath, the bathroom I remember is just out back, which was like a bunch of broken 40s in the backyard, and people piss all over. Uh yeah, you know, it was a, it was a real venue, but it was also you know out of these spaces come so many cool people and so many interesting bands, and I think the stuff in Philadelphia has always been fascinating. Like going back, you brought up the Dead Milkmen. To me, they're a a punk band. Yeah, that rules, man. I know. I'm proud of where I'm from. I'm proud I never left. And yeah, we when I was a teen, the first thing we did was first show we put on. We put on a a homeless benefit quote unquote we got a church to let us put the show on and a lot of punk punk bands did come through the stalag 13 circuit and we did get this sucks to play and i still remember like that show i still remember how he looked and i still remember him being like son walked into my bed again this morning there's nothing i can do to make it go away and i only heard him do it that night that day whatever the hell it was whatever uh are they still around? No. Oh, this sucks. No, I don't think they're around. Members went on. To I mean, like, a lot alive. Are they alive? I think. I think. I definitely. Pretty sure most of the members are still alive. I, on the Tony Pointless episode, uh, we did. We talked a lot about this sucks and kind of their importance to that Philadelphia, I guess, like squat venue scene before like the church, right? Yeah. Well, that was during. You know, we got them to come to the this church. Uh, but yeah, well, Stalag was still going on. I don't. 
I, I feel like there was one other house in West Philly called something that I've been to, but mainly it was Stalag that I went to. Yeah, there was another venue like right down the street, I think before or after Stalag. Uh, Stalag. If I, if I knew we we're going to be talking about this, I would have boned up on my research a little better in this kind of area. But uh, but yeah, like it's awesome when you think about it, that time period. R5 productions kind of going and sort of the rise of independent productions, yourself, Diplo. There's a lot of cool, interesting stuff coming out of sort of Philadelphia indie punk adjacent basement shows in Japanese yeah, no. today and stuff. Oh, yeah. I, 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 I'll have to listen to japanese breakfast bar i i'm not i know people love them and i i'm i met her she's very very nice but i don't actually don't know her music so that's i didn't know there was punk in it that's cool she used to do uh the door at r5 oh right right i heard that that's awesome and and that's i do love i love that this is a show going town but in the early days yeah, R5, we just owe them so much in the DIY uh, and this indie rock scene and just independent, um, just the, the 90s, I guess, into the late 90s and, and watching it all bud into what it is today. Uh, I, it's, it's pretty awesome. It's pretty awesome, man. Philly, Philly in particular. Yeah, it always feels like, uh, especially in the early days of punk, having people on here talking about it like it was sort of the the city that kind of was under documented and and under celebrated it had all these great bands but you know short of the dead milkman you don't really why die isn't celebrated as much as they should be or fod is not celebrated as much as they should be uh but it feels like because of people's hard work and great record labels that were based in that city really cool people doing all sorts of different kind of stuff that philly in the early 2000s becomes like kind of like the low-key kind of hotbed yeah. Yeah. And I, I, I will, I will say I've always kind of been, honestly, I've always kind of been on the outskirts, like an outsider, like where I was doing my thing and I'm, I'm trying to get people to be interested for so long. I just wasn't, didn't know as many people. So I, I honestly felt like I was outside of that R5 thing. Really, I just didn't know people. Like that's all it really was. And I have inferiority complex. But that said, at the end of the day, I did come out pretty punk because I, I did come from the outside. I came through Gulture Records, it's like a, and got my DIY stuff put out first. And it, and not only that, it was a 14 track song, you know, album of real songs, like weird psychedelic bedroom recordings, and one smash hit in the front, recorded in the studio, Freeway. What can I say? And, um, and then while I was making childish prodigy like still like nobody you know that like hunchback and so i remember uh you know my buddy richie who i work with like he was in clock cleaner and they did made babylon rules and and i was making songs like hunchback which definitely punk influence i was i was more into punk i feel like then in my mid to late 20s mm-hmm. uh i was then i was get, getting influenced by more punk bands and but also again like more like like the swell maps and things like that, like post punk. Is that post punk? You know, right? Well, is that post punk? Like like they are post punk. I guess yeah. Like I guess it gets called post punk, but like when you look at the chronological kind of timeline, they're they're there as punks happening. Like to me, that is yeah. 
you know, first wave punk. And it just, it it, later on, it gets reduced and kind of like boxed off into these sort of like subsects of like what is and isn't punk rock. But to me, like, how can you listen to the gizmos and say that this is anything but, you know, true rebellion music? Yeah. And so, yeah, around the time I was recording things like Hunchback, it took like, uh, it took a couple of years to get anybody to get anybody interested, you know? So I was doing that. So that was pretty punk in itself. Cause nobody was, you know, we were playing shows and I was putting out CDRs, but nobody was, um, putting my music out. And, 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 and around that time, yeah, I, I got religious about, uh, things like the swell maps and the, the fall and, uh, the dead sea, uh, just that. So, that's kind of that's kind of where my, I really got consciously into punk. You know what I mean? Yeah. Before it was, yeah. Well, not Dead Sea, like a hundred percent. Like that's you know the other side of Flying Nun. Like the fact that there's also in addition to these like the greatest, most beautiful indie songs ever written. There's also some of the greatest noise, yeah, punk shit happening at the same time. All in like a town of a hundred thousand people. Like how fucking crazy is that? Yeah, uh, Alistair Stair Galbraith. I love that stuff. I love that stuff like massages my brain. Like that that's that art they they just do that right style of arty noise over there in beautiful Dunedin or something, you know, in the south of New Zealand where the South Island where it's beautiful enough but they're uh isolated enough that that's the kind of stuff that's coming out of their guitars and on, in, onto their four tracks. I don't know. It just feels like that's like this sort of uh, their manifestation of punk. And that's what I think is cool about you playing a banjo with bands like these crusty bands at these, at the venue like that, because that is finding your own sort of rebellion in the world you're in and finding your own, making your own space in it. Well, that's cool. Uh, well, I, I think, you know, I just had a friend who went to those shows, so he brought me in just by chance, you know. Uh, but it certainly it sounds, it looks good on paper, you know, now, <laughs> looking back. <laughs> no, but I think I think you did kind of, you then changed the music too, influence on it after the fact, and the fact that you came from it. You know, like I first heard about you, and I think the first place that I think you started making noise that I was hearing about was kind of like, kind of like hardcore kid, punk kid, but aging hardcore kid, punk kid blogs and these sort of places that people were talking about, these CDRs that you had coming out. And then, of course, Gulcher being such a venerable label. And uh, are you aware that you could come in a fine tradition too by also getting uh, popular and more popular with your sound? John Cougar Mellencamp was on Gulcher. Yeah, I know. Yep. That's my boy. (laughs) (laughs) Have you met him? (laughs) No. He's in Indiana. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's funny because, yeah, like life goes on. I love, I love that song more every year. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like you grow into those records. Like I liked them as a kid, and then there was, of course, like a rejection of that sound for a while. Though Avail covered uh, Pink Houses on a record, so I did love the Avail cover. But coming back to him as a dad now, an aging father, it, it hits a lot, <laughs> a lot harder in a different way now. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it it is uh 
it, it's amazing how we get to a point in in like kind of this uh trip where no matter what you do you kind of got to accept the fact that there's like some of these songwriters that there's a reason they're super popular <laughs> who like who john cooper <laughs> mellencamp oh yeah I was like, oh, yeah. anyone could do this shit. Now I realize, no, no, that guy's that guy had a talent. You know what I, I think it is, part of it is, is that they, I can't speak for John Cougar Mellencamp because I've never seen him live, but you think you're talking about the Springsteens and the whatever, like they, or even let's jump, it's like a pop artist today or pop artist anytime. They deliver every time. Whereas me, sure, when the band gets oiled up, we sound good, but I, I can be pretty raw. But like, I can deliver on tape a song like there's like a moment where it's good and then I feel like I get bored. That's one of my theories. Why, why, why they're, because they, they, they're on, they gotta, they gotta be on. All the time, not just once. <laughs> I, I feel the opposite, man. I look at you and being like, he's on all the time with all these songs he's putting out. How does he do it? Oh, damn. Well, thanks you. But I'm putting out songs, and then I'm – a lot of them I don't end up playing live ever. I put out – I put out – I go in, and I record it. And then, yeah, you know, the certain songs make it to live, and then you're playing the same set every night ideally that's how they stay good but in between there's pretty much no in between if i play solo sure i can whip things out but it's either you play the same songs every night or you don't play them at all just well, once i play them once in the studio yeah and i record it yeah and that's it <laughs> but you like you know, on that tour we did you went there out every night and like you're saying sometimes the crowd would be downright hostile towards you but that's when i knew you You had like you yeah. had something because like you were unshakable in a way that like when i did the arcade fire tour opening and we had kind of the same reaction from the fans uh it it affected my performance in a way that i never saw it affect it, you never let it on that it was affecting you oh wow i i'm a pretty sensitive guy but in those days i was i was uh i was pretty hardcore i was pretty i was li living living a pretty wild life, you know, and I had my buddy Rob Robinson with me and uh, he was like, what happened was we had been on the road as the band and it was our first tour and I wrote a song about it called On Tour, you know, certain people didn't get along and we were just trying to, you know, Adam was uh, juggling his war on drugs bands. Obviously he was trying to get his record done or, and my drummer didn't, you know, like I, I didn't, we, I didn't have it all together. You know, we were on the, just at a certain level, and and so anyway, when I went on tour with you, it was going to be I went and into the snow in the Midwest solo, and my buddy Rob would help me. But when I get to Philly, uh, they'll the band will reconvene and we'll go up to Canada with them. And that, but I I borrowed a buddy's gu guitar, and uh, Delirious in Indiana, home of John Cougar, Cougar Mellencamp. We went to the Steak and Shake, and it was snow everywhere, and I loaded in the the gear, or, or I thought I did, but I, what I left was his Martin acoustic guitar in the snow. And let's just say, when I woke up, it wasn't anywhere to be found, so somebody took it. So I had to go back 
And I was like, well, I got to do this show. I got to do this whole tour solo opening for effed up the second tour when I'm on Matador records. And I had my buddy Rob Robinson, like playing bongos while I, at one point we like played a seat. We didn't have a sound person. So yeah, people were not having it all the time, you know, <laughs> but, and by the time we got to the opera house where it was your homecoming gig for your album. What album was that? Chemical chemistry and Com. I think it was chemistry uh, and common life. Right. Cause I think you yeah. sing. I think you No, you sing and David comes to life. David comes to life. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, I, I remember I got to uh, the opera house and I played the first song. And after the first song, somebody said, you suck. And I was like, your mom. And then the crowd was like, ah, <laughs> yeah. and they all left. And then like, by the very end, it was literally like uh, half the crowd was booing me. Half was cheering me on, like, don't give up. And I looked over to the side stage and it was uh, your bass player, Sandy and others. And they're like, they're like, one more, one more. And I was literally like, no, 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 to the sound of a roar of a crowd. And then I played one more and there was like, boom. <laughs> <laughs> it was fun. I, one of our favorite tours ever. You were so good. And I tell bands all the time when they open for us, like, listen, Always and Kurt Vile both eclipped us immensely in popularity shortly after the tour. So believe me, this is just, no matter how rough this tour gets, this might be an on-ramp. Well, that was, you were also, I saw you at, um, I saw you at F, Fuck Yeah Fest, FYF Fest in, uh, you know, awesome. L.A. Oh, L.A. One, yeah. L.A. And and uh, you you were awesome. And you my album didn't come out yet, but you had heard it or something or it just came out. I think it didn't come out, but you were. No, we, had, we had promo copies because we were on Matador. So they gave us like a CDR. It was awesome. And I, just to see. I don't know. So you were the because I I am actually a shy person and I have like in at the end of the day, I'm, I'm shy and have slight inferiority complex. So I always have to. Once I get accepted, it's huge. And you're all like, I'm, you're definitely an intimidating band. And I was like, oh, yeah, they're not going to like us. And then you were like so friendly, friendly. And you're like, oh, I love that record. I love. So and then yeah, you took me on tour. And it, and then it was only like then a little. Yeah, you know, Dinosaur Jr. Wasn't you were the first one to take me and invite me on tour. And then a little after that. Dinosaur Jr. was a fan. People, you know, people, I was like, oh, here we go, man. I'm opening for all these punk bands. Effed up. Dinosaur Jr., here we go. You know, that's, I just want to be accepted by the punk bands, you know? Well, that's like, that to me is like, and obviously I've not touched any sort of commercial heights, but to me, the greatest reward of doing this is like getting to meet Jay and getting to like, <laughs> be like friends with yeah. him. You know, there's like unapproachable person or to get to like meet your heroes and, and and to be like your have your heroes become peers and like be able to talk to them about music in a real direct honest way wow and you know that's interesting because it's true what all you said and also we're the luckiest people in the world because somebody like jay no other reason in the world would we be able to talk to him mm -hmm. unless we were related unless yeah. we were a friend of a friend and then would he talk to us like so, and th even then, like it takes a minute to break the ice, but then we get to, yeah, be be friends with our heroes, and and but we have a reason to be there. We play music, so we're backstage, you know, like other, you know, like it's it's natural for us to be there. Yeah, know? absolutely. And like, 
And I think with Jay, especially, he gets like a rough time because people are like, oh, he's so unapproachable. But he, I think Jay, if someone's down with Jay, in my experience, they're an awesome person. And that like, because he, he like goes to cities and like hangs out with the people that he actually gets along with. And so like when you meet someone who's with Jay, he, he really has just been like, yeah, no, this person's awesome. And they do cool stuff. And I, I like hanging out with them. And I find them interesting. And you're always like, yeah, this person is cool. Like it's a, it's a real uh, bullshit detector. Yeah, oh yeah, totally. I'm going to actually play. I'm sitting in with them this weekend in New York because it's the anniversary shows of Where You Been. Yeah. Did you get invited to that? Uh, no, this time. I'm no, Brian Schwartz no longer is my manager, so I find out. Oh, oh okay. I know okay. <laughs> but I just uh, I sang with uh, Dino last week at Primavera in uh, Benny Durham. And uh, yeah, it's like the biggest where's, thrill of my fucking life. Where's Benny Durham? It's like a beach town, like tourist, kind of British tourist center, just in Spain on the coast. And Pitch, uh, sorry, Pitchfork, uh, Primavera did like, they took it over and had like uh, a weekend of shows there. Like Off played, wow. Bob Mould played, uh, and then Dino played. And it was obviously like tons of fun, right? Like Blonde Redhead played, Deerhoof played the other day, Jesus and Mary Chain, I think, played the other day, Proto Martyr. And like Primavera, I always find like one of the most fun festivals because you actually like it's such a cool mix of people every time. Oh, yeah, that was definitely a first festival around 2011 or that record smoke ring could have been 2012. That was when I first I was like, oh, wow, this like, you know, I played a smaller stage, but it was by the water. And, you know, just to like everybody be in Barcelona and cheering you on, you know, my friends pissed jeans uh from philly punk band were in the in the audience and like people were like come on kurt make me cry you know everybody called <laughs> like i'm like what really people are here to hear me like this like i'm in barcelona and uh yeah that was that was beautiful and i yeah whatever Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line. Prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Bet MGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1 800 Gambler in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows granger has got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Were you, no, did you play that year, 2012? Was that the year Neil Young played? No. No, we think we played year the year after. before. Yeah, we played that year before. It was awesome. We're oh, like, because okay. you know, everyone chills in that big VIP area. And um, I'm with 
uh, must have been Jay and, and Kevin Shields and these girls come up to Kevin Shields and they're like, will you take a photo? And he's like, oh yeah, and goes to stand with them and they're like, what the fuck are you doing? No, take a photo of us with Sonic Youth playing in the background. <laughs> and he's like, oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. And then takes a picture of them. Oh, that's rules. <laughs> uh, but it's like, that's what I think you and me bonded on is we also had the same sort of like fan energy about a lot of shit where we were like unabashedly excited about the stuff that we liked. And that's, that is true. Actually now. Yeah. You were always getting singles and talking about uh record. Yeah. But it, it, that, that's what I always say. Like ultimately I'm just a fan, you know, I get, I get obsessed with all kinds of music at once, but then I usually have one, main obsession for a minute and and i get everything by that artist and and then uh they become part of my music you know eventually but i say that now because i i don't find myself playing guitar a lot lately per se but then next thing you know i got a job and i'm forced to go out there and play which is thank god you know (laughs) because if not maybe i'll never play guitar again but but uh but I'm a fan first and it, it inspires me to play and you know, then music comes out of that. Yeah. It, I find it like affects the way I like music, like the business side and the anxiety side of being in a band makes it harder to appreciate music. And that's where I think the best show and, and for me, wrestling podcast kind of came in where I could hear people talk in between. Cause I, I couldn't, as much as I love music, like music stressed the shit out of me after a certain point on the road, because like, that was my whole life is like, listen to music, playing music. And so those podcasts were like my, my escape. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and Tom, you know, yeah. Tom Sharpling is a good bridge too. We're both friends with him. In fact, I met Tom Sharpling through your tour. I kept hearing, no, I met him once cause we opened for big star and he thought we were making fun of him. Me and my bandmate, Adam, Lent, Adam Granofsky, Adam from, from, uh, he wore on drugs, but he was in the violators and we were obsessed with Tom and we, we opened for big star. We heard he's there and we bombarded him drunkenly with all kinds of mainly quoting, honestly, Worcester, but whatever, (laughs) you know, all his characters. And then I, again, I, we played Maxwell's together and I was talking to somebody who was eating and I was like, you know, heard Tom Sharpling is going to be here. And then Tom was literally right next to me and he just started laughing. He had like chicken in his mouth. Yeah. And well, I- we, you and me had bonded earlier in the tour because the first day of tour, I went up to your merch table and you had a Kurt Vile the band t-shirt, which melted my brain. Like that was just like, oh my gosh. And <laughs> you told me that was Rennie's idea right away. You're like, yes. yeah, ready, ready. <laughs> I got ready. I think, that's the thing is uh, I you could say that I'm like a little on the outskirts and a little aloof where but then I get the I don't I hear everything people are talking about you know all the punk rock and things and then like eventually I get hooked on something you know uh, I've always been that way with punk rock I think I'm just a music guy but then it is true once you get on a tangent of punk that said I've never heard that vile album uh but that yeah he made a shirt a vile shirt based on that that vile album cover and i've never heard that one you of the most that? one of the most infamous bands ever like i would say 
Gigi Allen kind of level of infamy to hardcore kids. And I think, I know Gerard was at the one show they played, and I think Jay was at one of the shows they played. But they were, like, notorious for pulling a gun on the promoter or something, and then they stuck their album under everyone's windshield wiper in the parking lot, according to legend. People just threw them in the garbage. And that's why it's such a hard record to find. Uh, Do you have one? (laughs) Eventually, I got one. Eventually, I, like, you threw a friend who actually reissued it. I traded a record for it from him. But, you know, once again, it was, like, Philadelphia stuff. And then... I went up to you and we started talking about kind of this same way. Like, how do you know about this file? Probably. And I said, Philadelphia. And then you said, oh yeah, Philly. And I went Philly boy, Roy. And immediately you went into an impression. And I was oh, like, yeah. at that point, being in the best show was still a little deeper cut than it is at this point. So we were like, I think bonded to that immediately from there. Oh man. Yeah, no, we did. And you were at my end cause he came and, uh, uh, to that show at Maxwell's and then, you know, I remember I gave him a signed copy of my, of whatever. I, you know what? Whatever. I'm getting it all a little mixed up because I didn't, I remember I was making the Childish Prodigy EP. Uh, sorry, the, the Square Shells EP while I was on tour with you. I was, I was like doing the artwork for that or getting somebody to help my band, Rob, to help. Uh, but anyway, it wasn't long after that tour that Tom invited me onto his show. And that was insane. And I've been on a few times since then. Yeah, what a hero. Like, what an outlet. Like, um, what a – Tom's such a source for, like, good. But also, like, you know, he'll make fun of ev- anything. And he'll, he'll be so funny. And, I, and he's, like, he runs the gamut. Or he's self-deprecating on himself. And then he's uh, totally, r- you know, rightly cocky about something. You know, I – and uh, it's just encouraging to people like us somehow. I was some for some, uh, and uh, I mean, I don't know what it is, man, but it, I think we're just East Coasters. Sure, you're up there in Canada, but it's not that far. Well, he was up here. I know now he hates it. Like, it feels, I feel bad because, like, Tom and I really drifted apart, I think, after he was up here for uh, what we do in the shadows. Because um, I think he was a real hatred for, for Canada now, and I feel like I'm involved in that. Oh, you were involved in you no, were involved not in at him? all. But I just feel like that was weirdly at a point when we kind of started drifting a little bit. Um, but you know, like he is without a doubt one of the biggest influences on me. And that best show is like one of the greatest things ever. Those Sharpling Worcester calls are they got me through tours. There were tours where I was like so fucking miserable before I discovered weed. And it was just like, my God. But there were just these calls that kind of kept me going and the mystery of them. And everything right? yeah like you know that might also be why i had that weird thing with john cougar mellencamp because there's those uh glass houses worst artists of the year calls do you remember that call where they where it's ace john benjamin is there too no oh no my gosh it's like worser calls in and uh he's in um uh who's the guy who does uptown girl again billy joel billy joel he's in a billy joel cover band and then uh, H. John Benjamin comes over, calls over, and he's in a uh, John Cougar Mellencamp cover band. Yeah, I'll, I'll find mm. it. I'll send it to you. I think I think I still got your number from back then. To uh, okay, pass it yeah, it's the same one. Uh, what's the deal with the Foibles split from 1998? You would have been like 17 years old. Okay, there is there is one release 
that is not me. That's a Kurt Vile. So maybe you're talking about that. I, know, I didn't know there was a split, but is it Kurt Vile and the Heedy somethings? They yeah. and they weirdly were on a punk label from out west. Um, but they were like Kurt Vile and the Nest of Saws. That's it. Sorry. Yeah, I was gonna say. Yeah, no, that that's not me. That's wild. And, and luckily, luckily they didn't pursue that name. Yeah, but this is a real name, no gimmick situation with you, right? Because I'm sure. Yeah, that, real that you... real name, no gimmicks. That person could also be a Kurt Vile. Who knows? But I love that's my favorite. The clever people who are like, oh yeah, like think that I'm being clever. They're but they're being clever. Like they think they think they're clever for bringing up that they that it's a play on Kurt Vile, the German composer. But that's them being stuffy, thinking they're clever because they're wrong. And it's my name. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I thought I was being clever because there was a connection between you and the Rhythm Pigs through that seven inch. And I was like, how'd you get a record out at 17 years old? And it was blowing my mind. But oh, man, uh, I feel very <laughs> reaffirmed. I that... should I should dig that up. I didn't I should I should get one of those. I know it's it's hard to find. It's not for sale. I, I imagine how many times that's sold to some like your fan thinking they got like the early first seven inch, like the, the Billy Joel, uh, sorry, the Billy Joe Armstrong seven inch he did as an eight year old type thing. <laughs> oh man. But that's still crazy that you did a record with a guy who was in that band Oscar that was on Epitaph. They were on Epitaph in like 99, 2000. Well, it's just a split. It's a split, but still it's like, that's like an Epifat connection. And here you are getting into no effects early on. I know obviously you didn't stick around too much in that genre, but the Kurt Vile Epifat connection is real. Yeah, dude. Uh, like, yeah, some of the, there was a cluster of bands I liked that probably everybody liked at this time when I was into new school punk for a minute. There's like no effects, Pennywise, face to face, rancid, probably in reverse order. Like I got into rancid and no effects, you know, I, I still like certain no effect songs. Uh, I still like, like from like the longest line or in my head, at least I haven't heard them lately, but they get, you know, they, they, but, but, uh, Oh, then there's that band propagandi. They sound exactly like no effects. That's crazy. Now to hear the song. Fuck religion. Yeah. When he's talking about the West bank and the Gaza strip. Like I think about my mind goes there immediately. They were singing about it back then. Yeah. But that's Canada's Whatever. greatest band, dude. Like, obviously, are they Canada? Yeah, dude. Winnipeg. Oh, killer! Hardcore kids too from Winnipeg. Like, there's a uh, there's some connection to the Sadies. Like, Guilt Parade. They were really inspired by Guilt Parade, which was Sean's band before he did the Sadies. Before and Flight Camp was another huge band for those guys out in Propagandi. And then Propagandi, like one of the greatest. Like you're saying, I learned about Noam Chomsky. I learned about Howard Zinn. I learned about Maya Angelou. I learned about all this shit that I did not learn about in school through these records, like propaganda records and these sort of samples they would have or books they would list in their liner notes. And it was calling it out then calling it out then. Yeah, man. It was like, that's the thing that's fascinating about this kind of music because it is at one time, it's like sort of the sophomoric snowboarder frat party jock kind of thing but then at the other time it's also like a gateway to like riot girl and it's two steps removed from that whole world and it's two steps removed from force exposure and all this sort of thing like no effects 
<laughs> you can make that jump in two moves. Yeah. I'm excited to listen to Discharge and think about my girl Jenny, though. We we love each other forever. I, I've been meaning to call her. So I, she also reached out to me when my bandmate Rob passed away. So, which was really sweet because actually I know her through my bandmate Rob, um, and we toured together m- multiple times uh, with Black Bananas, and and she's uh, it's just a sweetheart. Uh, and then her voice. You know, when I, I sing sometimes with a snarl and it's all about, it's it's like, I'm just ripped. I just want to be Jenny. I just want to be Jennifer Harima, you know? Yeah. Royal Trucks was like, like the realest band ever. And in a way that like the authenticity is kind of like obviously dangerous for the parties involved. Like there was no, I think especially at that time, there's a lot of people kind of playing at that. And then they were like, it unapproachably cool, but also like, it was like a real danger to the coolness to to everything about that band. Yeah, man. Uno in Uno Dos Trace, it's a snap. Man, she just she just Yeah, uh, man, she cuts through. Like she cuts through. I I like that's the my, the main thing I look for in a singer is like do they they cut do they cut through? Yeah. Like her voice literally cuts through but it also like cuts into my brain and my heart. Well, and that's the thing is when you hear it, there's like, you can tell there's something about it that's like, that's punk. Like there's an energy that's through all this stuff. And I would even like, you hear it in the Dead Milkman the first time you hear, if you love somebody, set them on fire or something. You know, like you hear this thing that, like you're saying, it cuts through in a way that you hear all this stuff. And then years later, you find out that all these people were kind of going to minor threat shows and we're all Bad Brains fans. And we're all out coming at this from the same place or there's part of this lineage yeah it's true it's true you know like where would do you ever think like where you would be if you didn't kind of have this sort of outsider i know you're saying it's like an outsider path but like this path through punk like do you ever think about like where would you have found entry or where would you have found yourself yeah i mean in in the in the sort of diy do your like you'd I definitely did the DIY thing more than others uh, to get noticed. I mean, I was doing it anyway, but like, or my buddy Richie told me, even when I put it out on Gulture, he's like, you could, you're sending the, your music to these bigger labels or medium-sized label. And there, and he said it in a funny way. He's like, he's like, oh, because they're not going to be like, hey, why don't I put out this record of this person no one's ever heard of? Or I could put out, this record and know it's going to do all right. Like you get those people like Matador, et cetera. They, they kind of saw that I was doing it anyway. You know, you, you kind of, and that, that, I guess that's a punk attitude, but it's all, it was, it was also necessity. You know, I just had, uh, but that's just, but that's a, that's a mentality. You know, that's not necessarily a sound. Um, but at times, you know, I could be influenced through sound as well, you know, but I had, I had the sensitive acoustic thing and I was always a pretty great finger picker. So I can't help that. You know, I can't help it if I'm a great acoustic finger picker. I'm also influenced by punk. No, but yeah. And then, uh, you know, then there you got, you got people like X. I just played a show with John Doe and Terry Allen. And obviously they were incredible players from the beginning. Uh, but you don't always associate that with 
sorry to ramble. I was just thinking about my uh, finger, nope. folky acoustic guitar, which isn't necessarily punk, you know, but I, I don't know. I just influence. Is. I think yeah. it is right. Like, I think like, um, not to cut you off, but right up to, I know Billy Bragg's not on acoustic, but like you look at the desperate bicycles and advice on arrest, which to me is the greatest punk song I've ever written. And it's on acoustic guitar. And it's, there's uh and those gizmo songs, not to beat that horse again, but I feel like they're such an underrated band, but Velvet Underground too. Stooges have the acoustic guitar on some stuff. It's just. Oh yeah. Give me danger. The best. Yes. And I think my favorite punk song of all time, if I was to pick one is also the most, it's also beautiful. And, and it's also just gut, like, it's just beautiful. And uh, that's, that's dirt, you know, uh, dirt by the Stooges off of raw power. And it's like, you know, it's it's minor melody. You know, the chorus is like, do you feel it when you touch me? And it's just those, I don't know, what is it? E minor to C to G, something like that. And it's just, and then he hits the wah and it just gets so beautiful and intense. And so, yeah, you know, and Give Me Danger, that beautiful acoustic, it's like jangly. And again, it's minor. Um, yeah. I love thinking about that the Stooges are kind of wrapping up and they finish in LA and they've got that run of the whiskey where they're playing two shows a day. And they're just, you know, by all accounts, Iggy's dying on stage every day. And then the Stooges break up there and, and Bowie runs in and rescues Iggy and kind of leaves the rest of the dudes there. And it's kind of like the Stooges are like decomposing as a band. And out of that comes LA punk, like comes X comes all these bands, like as the next wave, but like you need the Stooges to kind of die there to kind of like be that permission for that next wave yeah well well when yeah exactly when did he was he dying on stage are you saying like the making of funhouse or like after after like they, when, did, they went out to la kind of like it was it there's like a bunch of live records from the whiskey where the audience is like throwing cigarettes at him and booing him and and keith morris told me a story but when he went there he like dumped a thing of water on himself and then grabbed the mic and got electrocuted and just passed out on the stage and the roadies came in and broke everything down. And then last thing they carried off was Iggy, you know, wow. like you're, he's like destroying himself like twice a day for people. But that's like, that's the inspiration for all these kids that would wind up being that first wave of LA punk. Right. Like, yeah. Like Suge is a hundred percent where if I thought, like, what would it have been like to see them back then? Like to have no reference point. And there's a guy standing on the crowd covering himself in peanut butter yeah but would you know when and where funhouse was recorded exactly like what when was that 70 i feel like jay would be really pissed at both of us right now uh well more you well <laughs> you know, so i'm more the hardcore guy <laughs> he trusts he trusts your sense of, of music overall i think more than mine he hasn't asked no, me to I, produce any records no well <laughs> yeah um i yeah, more. I'm. I'm more curious in the moment, like getting specific. Yeah, we'll, I'll well, figure it out. We can. We'll come back right. on one day, you, me, and Jay, and we'll uh, we'll, we'll we'll hash this all out. All right. <laughs> it'll, be a, it'll be a fun conversation with him. Um, speaking of Jay, Kyle Spence, you know, one of the great drummers, he, hardcore kid as well. I was going to say that earlier, like when we we're talking about Jay, is I we grab jay's posse when we can you know uh yeah we needed a new drummer and i got kyle spence the first time i saw kyle spence was when he had to when he was flown into canada because murph couldn't get in and he 
It was the end of the tour I was on with Dinosaur Jr., the first one back in 2010. And uh, he, yeah, like he, he killed it. And uh, he's from Harvey Milk, you know, uh, you know that band? Oh, yeah. And he also played in Fiddlehead. And I found out today he played in a band called uh, A Finger. Not to be confused, I guess, with the other many fingers from that part of uh, America, but that I have on a seven-inch compilation. And I had no idea he was in that band till till today. But yeah, definitely deep roots. I love Harvey Milk, though. What an underrated band. Yeah, I, I love them too. I I I was listening to one of their CDs at the end of last the final Violators tour before the pandemic hit, and it was it was it was hitting me hard. I wish I had like I remembered it, but it, yeah. I'm definitely proud that Kyle is from there. You know, he played in Dino. And then I basically took uh, Dinosaur Jr.'s bench warmer drummer away so that they had no other options and that they had to just, you know, which all, we all wanted anyway. But, like, I took Kyle out of the equation. Let's just – we needed a, we needed him. And uh, he's been in the band since 2014. 2014? And yeah, he's uh, he gets better all the time. He's you know we've been on a road a lot this last two years, and the now now he's crazy good. I mean he's always been good, but we're as a live entity, and he's also a great engineer. So we got you know when we work together, we can all sort of record. We can record it at the same time, but our live shows have gotten off off the chain thanks to Kyle. Yeah, he's. I think he's an unbelievable. I haven't seen him obviously lately, but I got it. next time he comes through Toronto, I will be there because. Uh, yeah, I'll make sure you come. One of my favorite, one of my favorite peeps, um, and and like, once again, a testament. Like you're saying, like they're a band. Like everyone in Dino, from crew to the people in the band, is is super chill, and yeah, totally has good temperament and stuff like that, and a good vibe. Yeah, no, lately we've been working with John Maloney. You know John Maloney. Love John. One yeah, of he's favorites. He, he's been working with us lately, uh, and it's just like – well, because my buddy Adam Langelotti is the most recent member of the band, and he's Western Mass. I've known him forever, but he works with Dino and is old friends with John. But so like between – yeah, it, it feels more like family all the time. I have this extended Massachusetts family sort of, and it it really it, – yeah, it's really nice. And I, yeah, I love that. I love that. Because I also feel, not to get heavy and weird, but like I feel that same way about the Sadies too. Yeah, that it's like part of like an extended family, and uh, they're the people that um, you know. Obviously, Dallas meant so much to to everyone here. But like meeting, I was trying to put together the the sequence of events. If you had done that tour with them first, or the tour with us first, actually, it's interesting you bring it up because I will tell you. That I think he we we didn't know each other that well during that tour, but he basically told me Dallas basically told me he 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 accepted me on that tour because I had just toured with effed up, and he was interested in that and he wanted to play with you. He didn't know you yet, yeah. Uh, and he was listening to Chemistry of Common Life in his headphones all the time, laying in the back seat. And he was wanting to play with you. And that was literally a big reason why he agreed. Because I, I rode in their van. I mean, they hadn't done that 
and I wasn't thinking about it much. I was like, sure. But then you obviously have to show up and ride in a van with a bunch of strangers. And I'm <laughs> shy at first and they're shy at first in their way. So we didn't talk for the first day. But can you, you tell know? what happened where they, cause also when you ride with the Sadie's, you gotta, you gotta go to a Sadie's party and didn't they give you something before the ride? Oh, <laughs> uh, well, eventually I had a, a, a weed cookie for sure. And I was riding with, for a minute, I was in the, maybe in the front seat with, with Travis, who I saw him play and I knew he was amazing. And he's so tall and he had those, uh, aviator shades on and drive and he drives, pulls, drives this, um, uh, 15 passenger van with a trailer hitch going under the speed limit or exactly the speed limit. And then I, w- I was like, Oh, no big deal. This cookie was delicious, you know? And then like way longer later, I was like, dude, I am so, I think I'm, and then, and then <laughs> Travis basically just said, he said, I am, you know, like meaning like, dude, I heard, I know what you're about to say. And we were just, we were just on the moon, man. We we're on the moon. <laughs> it was the best. Yeah. And still like an unbelievable band, like rest in peace to Dallas. And he is, there's a void that will never be filled in, in music without him. Yeah. You know, it's, it's criminal and it's like, but, but that's, that's heavy. And you know, that's, but that's beautiful. What, when it, everybody knows, you know, everybody knows that that's, that's such a blow. And uh, yeah, I, well, we're, we're just so lucky that we've seen them best live band of all time. And they're still going. Mm-hmm. And everybody was a little happy for them, but nervous about that. And they're they're carrying the torch. And, and uh, yeah, they're brothers to me. And, uh, you know, yeah, it's crazy. I mean, I, I got to write a song. I got to I'm so glad I got to put those words in a song. They sent me an instrumental uh, track that came out on Northern Passages. I didn't know what the words were going to be, but I was up in New York and I I I played some vice related thing and i was in new york working on different various things and i passed out with my family like kind of late and i woke up and the the lyrics came to me and like in my dreams or whatever and i wrote it down on the back of a book and it's like it's like it's like playing guitar with your brother like plant one foot in front of the other it's easy like walking you know it's just singing about like i didn't know what it's going to be you know, but then you're like, it's so essential that those, you got to put those two, those two brothers in there playing guitar together. They, they literally could play each other's guitar with their, that was one of their tricks with their left hand. They play the other's fret. The crowd goes wild. And uh, so we have that connection, that Toronto connection. I haven't toured together with both those bands multiple times. And uh, so, yeah, I'm stoked that I got to put that in the song because who knew? Who knew that somebody had to put that in a song, you know? Yeah, like it really, uh, hearing you do stuff with them afterwards meant a lot. Just seeing that, because you were like one of the first people that kind of, they did stuff with. And just knowing that it was going to carry on, like Dallas would have wanted. Like, you know that Dallas would have wanted this to be, because they're too good. Like, you know, obviously with Dallas, it was that the two guitar thing is obviously the trick that everyone remembers, but it's funny. I was showing my kids YouTube videos of it this week, like just being like, you see this, like, look how amazing that is. Cause they're learning how to play guitar now and just being like, this is what growing up in music and 
and punk music too. Like both those guys were like part of the, part of the stall like version of the scene from eighties Toronto here with a bunch of fucking goofs. Wow. And coming out of that world as well and stuff. So yeah, it's funny. Cause then I got to, I guess I met Dallas after you had toured with them. Cause I remember talking to you about Dallas, I guess when we saw each other again, and then you played that festival in Toronto with them too, like a big outdoor thing at Fort York. Yeah. That was when we reunited. Yeah. Uh, well, at least Travis, I hadn't seen Travis and, uh, uh that was amazing yeah it's true um not to go from sore point to sore point but you played in the swirlies as well right for a hot minute i i well okay i was when i moved to boston in like 2001 2002 i was there in 2000 it turned into 2001 uh uh I was a fan of my bandmate Rob Laxos, my late bandmate Rob Laxos band, the Wicked Farleys, and then we got into the Swirlies too. And he, 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 he was in. He went to Emerson in like the recording. He was in the. He had, was like a recording audio major. And he, early on when I got there, I had played with the Wicked Farleys a couple times. And then, early on, we like, we went and saw a movie one night and drank some beers. And then we, we went back to his dorm room and I recorded some some jams on his keyboard that he threw through some of his crazy noise noise rig that he had and and basically that ended up on the swirlies cats of the wild forever two or something cats of the wild two which that came out around the time I moved back to Philly in, in 2003 it's a later swirlies record and, and Rob Laxo is on that record and so technically I, I am too but he was more a conventional member of the band, but yeah, the Swirlies are the best. Uh, they're they're like the shoegaze punk thing, and then the the Jaguar guitar, which I copied, you know, which my bandmate Rob Laxo copied first, and like the a certain synthesizer that I won't even say by name is their secret weapon because I got I got that too, and and um yeah, so that's. That's my connection to the Swirlies, and we've toured together. But I, I'll, I'm on a like a sort of like hidden track at the end of Cats of the Wild too. I've listened to that a lot recently because it's also on. I think it's on my bandmate Rob's audio project. He, you know, he his his like real his thesis. Thing. His thesis. He's got a, like a thesis. He put out the CD at the end, and I listened to it. Those hooks are super catchy, man. I, I'm gonna, I gotta put it like today with electronic music and pop, whatever. I'm gonna sample that and turn it into a song again and involve them, I guess. That's awesome. Um, not to go back to something kind of trivial, but like, yeah, a really underrated band, the Swirlies, and a, a band that it feels like kind of in the shoegaze revival is getting like a, another look by people. Yeah, I think they are definitely always. I saw them posting chimp rock forever, and I was like, that's cool and all, but you know. Uh, those are my brothers, and uh, you never play with them. Only me. <laughs> but, like, um, no, I actually really like Always a lot. I'm going to play some shows with them soon. But I did see that they were calling out the Swirlies, and I was like, that's awesome. Uh, but, yeah. Uh, they also they, are – they came out of the fucked up opening for boot camp with I know. epic reactions. So there you go. Yeah, you got yeah. that in common. I know. you. We. I heard you mention that, and uh, I'm about to play with them sometime next year, and – we're definitely playing before them. They're, uh, they're, you can't deny they're catchy, 
you were I love them. Honestly, it's a funny story. I I was mixing uh Waking on a Pretty Days with John and Yellow. Did you work with John and Yellow ever? No, but I, I've you know? hung out okay. with John at the Dino Summer okay. Camp. Right. Great guy. But I I heard he was sent some always demos, stuff they recorded for themselves. At the time, I, th- I remember them being more folky in my mind, but it was super catchy. And it was awesome. He's like, yeah, I'm going to mix this. And I was like, it sounds done. And he's like, shut up. <laughs> you know? <laughs> like, they, my point is they had it from the beginning. You know? They yeah. had it from the beginning. Uh, but anyway, yeah, to, to jump around, the Swirlies – they spent their wild and youthful days in the glittering world of the salons as a masterpiece. Uh, the album before that, uh, shoot, is also awesome. But the they're, they're, Tang? I love I this one. They're both on Tang. The, the first tape, which I did not learn till today, that they put out was a split with Drop Dead. I know. And over the pandemic, I somebody drew that, that cassette or painted it, I should say. It's a really good painting. And I, I bought that um, from this artist. Me? And I've been meaning to listen to that. I got to see yeah. that painting. <laughs> yeah, I'll send it to you. I want to see a photo it's of that. Cool that's painting. Wild. That's awesome. That's so weird because like, I had no idea that tape even existed till today, but that's awesome that someone painted it. There's. Yeah. Are you a fan of Drop Dead? Love them. Cool. Love them. Uh, There's a, gr- a great uh, Drop Dead mini riot video from Toronto from a show back in the day where uh, the singer talks down like a guy with a knife that's pulled a knife on him. It's like a, mm. it was an intense Toronto show at, at our Stalag 13. Who's Emma? What? We had a Stalag 13 kind of vibe here with who's Emma was our Stalag 13 uh, oh, type thing. Who's Emma? Who's Emma? Like a question? Yeah. Like Emma, okay. Emma I guess Emma Goldman lived in uh, Kensington market, that part of Toronto. And mm. there was this like, like punk venue you know like that's the thing about these venues you just anyone could play there i got to play that stage way before i should have been playing on stage with different bands and uh then sometimes cool great bands would come through like drop dead wow that's awesome yeah it was definitely like yeah it was a great time and kurt this has been a great time buddy and like you you and me we gotta we gotta stay in touch it feels like we've uh, it feels like not a day's gone by you look just as young as you did back then buddy wow you look great. You look oh, great. You lying. look younger. <laughs> well, that's if you look that's like that's... shit from the beginning. There's nowhere to go but up, right? Like, well, that that I mean, no, but you look great, and uh, that's not what I meant. But I also <laughs> me, I don't, I don't, I quit drinking back in uh, 2019, so that might have saved me a little bit. Um, but I'm glad that you, you, you're, I, I, I'm very complimented, and I do miss you. I miss hanging, and I, uh. You know, Toronto for sure. Let's hang. I, I see Sandy, though. I've seen Sandy a, a fair amount. I yeah, know she, you, you probably... we, we were all going to come out to the last show, but then I had sick kids. So, you know. That's what it was. That's what it was. Three kids is, is you know what it's like with multiple kids. It's just like two Petri dishes coming home every day. How old are they? I have a 14-year-old, an 11-year-old, and an 8-year-old. And my 14-year-old is 6'4". Wow. Yeah, I have a 13-year-old, and she's the first one. You know, I was about – basically, after I toured with y'all, it wasn't long before my first daughter was born. And now now she's 13, so you know know what that does to our timeline. And the other one – the younger one is 11. 
Did you want to have like a lot? Because you grew up in a house with like tons of siblings. Did you want to have tons of kids or were you like deliberately like, let's have less than nine or 10? Yeah, definitely, definitely less than 10 would be good. Uh, <laughs> uh, but yeah, I'm one of 10. But uh, yeah, two. We, 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 we would like another one. I don't think, I don't know if that'll happen. But, but uh, two, two is awesome. Two, two we take broke them. me. Like it broke me so bad as a human. Well, now we're a gang, you know. Now, now that they can walk, we we've gone on. We've been well. We went all over the world when when we had to carry them, you know. Mm-hmm. The, but but still, now we're a gang, so it's really fun. I I wish my fourteen year old tries to kill me on a daily basis. He does jujitsu, and I think I've become like a tackling dummy. And oh man, well we got I got two late two two lovely ladies, so nobody's tackling me lately anyway. Well, they also wow. I revealed to me yesterday his he my my eldest has not talked to me about this type of music, but his friend came over and said that he's really into indie rock, and they said Kurt Vile and Mac DeMarco. So I'm going to get cool points, even if he won't admit it to me. Oh wow! Tell him I said what's up. I will, I will, buddy. Well, you pass on my regards to the family, and anytime you want to come on here by yourself with Jay with with anybody, you know you're always welcome. Oh, that'd be super fun. Yeah, with Jay. <laughs> Thank you, Kurt, for coming on the show. And Kurt will be back for a part two at some point in the future. In the meantime, check out Back to Moon Beach. And also uh, check out uh, all the great Sadie's records as well. We got talking about that. And I went out and listened to some Sadie's stuff afterwards. And my gosh, Kurt is uh, right when he says they're one of the greatest bands of all time. And uh, so is Kurt. Kurt's amazing as well. One of the greatest songwriters. One of my favorite songwriters. You know, all his records. Even even the ones I didn't admit at first that I love. Yeah, I love them all. Fantastic. All right. Coming up on the next episode of Turned Out a Punk. You got a Christmas present under the tree. I guess a, a holiday present if you do not celebrate Christmas. Or just if you, you just got a present. Because coming up on the next episode for an awesome conversation. The Legend. From the band Murphy's Law, Uncle Jimmy, as he says he wants to be called from now on, will be on the show. And this is a an awesome conversation. It goes a lot of cool places, a lot of interesting places, a lot, some heavy places too. And uh, it's all waiting for you on the next episode of this show right here. All right, that is it for this week or this this one. Uh, Remember, as always, Black Lives Matter, the lives and issues faced by indigenous peoples all over the world matter. We need to protect trans kids and help trans people protect themselves and their rights and stop hating violence towards people of different sexual orientations, different races, different religions, different faiths, because this isn't politics. This is just basic human rights shit. People deserve to live free from hate and violence. So if there's organizations in your world that are making uh, or trying to affect positive change in an area that you believe change needs to happen and get involved, donate your time. Uh, if you can afford it, donate money. I'm sure they need it because it gets better when you make it better. Like punk. Speaking of punk, start a band. Start a fanzine, start a podcast, eh, podcast, start a record label, do anything, get involved. 
because this gets better when more people get involved. Make someone a mixtape. That that that's very outmoded. You have to buy him a Walkman and it'd be a anyway. Scratch that idea. I guess make him a playlist. Make someone a playlist and uh, spread the word about uh, this thing. Uh, speaking of spreading the word about things, spread the word about signing your organ donor card because by the time they come looking for those organs, you don't need them anymore, and they can perform literal miracles. I've seen it happen. Uh, and uh, try meditating. I try it, and it works for me. I need to remember to do it more often. I know a lot of people are really good at it. And uh, for me, it didn't, I don't know, there's no particular discipline or anything like that. I use one of the apps, and yeah, it works for me. So maybe it'll, it will work for you. Anyway, thank you for listening, and I will see you on the next episode.